Who gets a boost in fantasy value from the deal involving Mookie Betts and David Price? And who's likely to lose value? And what do we need to know about the Jock Peterson trade? Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not had the three cold brews yet. <laughs> Got ahead of me on uh, my, my caffeine question, so glad, glad to know that there's been uh, some caffeination in your life. I'm just glad three, I am not at the dentist. Fantasy in 15 on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15. Mookie Betts Trade Edition. Al Melchior here with Derek Van Riper. DVR, uh, everybody gets a bonus episode here uh, because we've got a big, big deal to break down. We've talked about Mookie Betts and the possibility of him getting traded in some previous episodes, and we established we don't really think his value is going to change. I'm feeling the same way about David Price. Uh, You think there's a change here with him going from the Red Sox uh, to the Dodgers? I think I'm a little more optimistic about Price just getting him in the NL. I mean, you get out of the AL East, you go to the NL, you face pitchers instead of DHs. That's a little bit of an upgrade. And I think the bigger question about David Price is how healthy is he? I mean, obviously, he yeah. was part of a salary dump being included in this trade in order to get bets. The Dodgers had to take David Price as well. Uh, we'll talk about that subsequent Jock Peterson deal in just a moment. But uh, I think David Price is one of those guys that once you get to that pick 150 range, he starts to make a little bit of sense. He's not that far removed from being uh, a high-volume source of great ratios. And I, I think even the strikeouts, even as, as the stuff has diminished, could still be there with the move back to the NL especially. Yeah, well, they were there in 2019. And I think if Price weren't as much of a of an innings risk and uh, an injury risk, that Maybe I would have gone more quickly to the place where you went, looking at that change of leagues, getting out of the AL East. That's that's critical, but the the talent is still there. The ratios are still there, just not as you you pointed out, not quite in the same volume. Uh, so just to actually lay out all the pieces, I mean, I'm sure at this point a lot of you know what happened here. But uh, David Price and Mookie Betts, along with some cash, going from the Red Sox to the Dodgers. Red Sox are getting Alex Verdugo, but also with a third team involved here, the Dodgers sending Kenta Maeda to the Twins, and then the Twins sending uh, Brewster, Brewster uh, Gratterall to the Red Sox. So a lot of uh, players, a lot of moving uh, pieces there in different directions. So obviously, bets and price, the big pieces there. But what do you think is the biggest fallout here? Because it's obviously, it's not bets from a fantasy perspective. Who do you think does get the, the biggest boost or maybe the biggest drop? The biggest boost might actually be for Kenta Maeda. I mean, we talked about Betts as a guy that's just stable. He's an elite. He's a top five player, top six player, and changing teams, changing parks won't really affect him all that much. But with Kenta Maeda, every year, pretty much, that he's been with the Dodgers, he gets shut down in September or shifted into a relief role, to be more precise. And... It hurts his fantasy value. I mean, he's great out of the bullpen as a multi-inning reliever. He's dominant against righties. It's effective usage, but I think a lot of that was based on how his contract was structured. If you think about the way the Minnesota Twins rotation is built, they do not have the same enviable depth that the Dodgers have had for the last few years. They need Kenta Maeda to be an option every fifth day all the way through the season. I don't think they're worried about him reaching various workload incentives because his contract is so affordable. Uh, And we talked about the Twins as an organization that really I think we can trust from how they handle pitching 
Uh, so I do like this as a value shift for him, even though he's going the wrong way in terms of going NL to AL. I think his innings count jumps up, and I think the, the ratios and Ks with Kenta Maeda are going to be as good as they've ever been. Well, yeah, he's going to the AL, but he's going to the AL Central. And he doesn't have to face the Twins. Exactly. So, you know, that's not it's not a bad deal. Goodbye, Coors Field, uh, you know, hello, Royals and Tigers. So, I don't know. I, I don't even think I'm going to downgrade him for that. For me, the only question is how many innings to project him for. I, I feel like 180 still might be a little too optimistic. I think it's possible. But uh, I feel pretty comfortable with about 170. Right, and he's at 153 and two-thirds last year, uh, 125 and a third back in 2018. So 170 would be a nice little boost. I still think we haven't seen the best ERA season that Cantamayeta is going to post in the big leagues. I think he can get a low three ERA. We saw that 322 fit back in 2018. I think that's probably the ceiling, but it's possible that he does that here in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let's take a look at the... Uh, Red Sox acquisitions, uh, starting with Alex Verdugo. So obviously he slots right in to the outfield there. Um, I would assume uh, slotting right into to uh, right field for the Red Sox. If, at least from a park factors perspective, this is really could be a big hit for Verdugo. He's going from a really nice ballpark for lefties, particularly for home run power, to one of the worst parks in the major leagues for left-handed home run power, probably trading in some of those homers for doubles. So unless you're playing in a points league, I, I don't know that even with the playing time increase, I don't know that's really an upgrade fantasy-wise. Yeah, and I think one thing in Alex Verdugo's profile that raises some questions is that in order to get to some of the power we've seen from him in recent years, he's had to pull the ball more often. So if he starts going the other way to use the monster, is that going to bring down that home run total just simply by the design of how he's attacking pitchers? Like I think that's a, a reasonable question to ask. But uh, there is a chance he's an everyday player in Boston. I think he was a strict platoon guy with the Dodgers. So depending on how they round out their bench, if they have a right-handed hitting platoon partner for him, Maybe he's in the same situation, but I think there is a chance that some of the lost power can be partially offset by a potential boost in playing time. Yeah, it's it's not as much of an advantage as uh, I think it could be with uh, another team, but uh, you know, should be in a good lineup. There's a lot of factors there to consider for uh, Verdugo, and of course, the other player that the Red Sox acquire, Brewster Gretarol. And I just in the brief time that I've been able to spend on Twitter and getting people's reactions, I've seen that a lot of people are rooting for him to go back to a starting role because he was slated to relieve for the Twins this year. But he's got that power sinker. And the way that um, the Red Sox really had trouble settling on a closer last year, I mean, ultimately, Brandon Workman did a terrific job. But I, I didn't feel secure about Workman going into this year just based on how unsettled that was last year. Do you think Gratterall could stabilize that situation in 2020? Yeah, I mean, I think he has great stuff. I think there are definitely two sides to the argument with him. One side believes he's still going to figure it out and become like a number two or number three starter. The other side says he's going to throw gas in the bullpen and be a lockdown reliever. Either way, I think he's going to be a good fantasy player, maybe sooner than he would have been in Minnesota, just based on how their bullpen was built and how they had set up themselves with pretty good starting rotation depth, uh, at least in terms of like soft-tossing guys who they liked better than Gratterall as a starter. Uh, the interesting thing with the Red Sox after this trade, you know, with Price gone, there isn't a fifth starter 
on the depth chart right now, at least not an obvious one. So they may want to stretch Gratterall out, see if his secondary pitches and command come along to the point where he can be an effective starting option, try to max out his value. And if that doesn't work in 2020, make that decision in 2021 to shift him into the bullpen. It's just so weird. Like as talented as this roster is, even after the Mookie Betts trade, you almost wonder if there are more moves to come and if more of these uh, star veteran players might be on the move. Yeah, and that's the asterisk that we should put next to pretty much all the analysis that we're doing right here is that there's a good chance that all the teams involved could be making more trades, and I think the Dodgers especially. So what we're speculating on right now might you know, might look great in a few weeks or it might look obsolete. So this is obviously going to be a work in progress. And going back to the Dodgers, it's it's kind of an odd situation because we will get to Jock Peterson in literally a minute or two here. But they've they've cleared out that outfield a bit, even though they're getting Mookie Betts. Uh, so there's there should be room for you know one more body in the outfield there. AJ Pollock would seem to be the obvious beneficiary to me, but you know given the way that Dave Roberts has managed that team, maybe it just means that uh, Chris Taylor and Matt Beatty can continue to get plugged in as super utility players, and and maybe this just solidifies that position for them. So. Out of those three players, or you know, you can add in Enrique Hernandez or you know whoever you see fit. But who do you see maybe either benefiting or at least having their role solidified as a result of these two trades? You know, I think Pollock's role is a little safer. I think he was going to play as much as he could as long as he was healthy, even before things changed in this outfield. But they're a little more right-handed now, and what that means is that guys like Chris Taylor and Kike Hernandez they might not spend as much time in the outfield. They might be more uh, just strict infield backups for Gavin Lux, uh, maybe for Corey Seager if he needs occasional days off, and and possibly for Max Muncie, even though he's handled same-handed pitching very well in each of the last Mm -hmm. two seasons. Um, So I think, quietly, Gavin Lux might have a a short-term drop. I mean, obviously having a more talented lineup reduces his chances of having a prominent spot in the batting order, but I am a little bit more worried about him falling into a platoon now that there's not an obvious platoon starter in Jock Peterson on this depth chart. Well, I had a very opposite reaction here, and this also segues nicely into the Jock Peterson trade. Dodgers sending him to the Angels, and then the Dodgers getting back infielder Luis Renjifo. So I was seeing that maybe there'd be more of an outfield role for Chris Taylor and for Kike Hernandez because Renjifo is going to fill a a spot nicely on the bench to fill in in the middle infield, maybe even over at third base. And maybe that's going to create more of a role for those other utility type players to spend more time in the outfield. Yeah, I wonder if one of those two guys, Taylor Hernandez, actually ends up getting pushed off the roster via a minor trade or a DFA at some point because the pieces just don't seem to fit quite right. But the one thing I have to keep in mind is that the rosters are a little bigger. You know, the move from 25 to 26 enables you to have uh, a previously kind of extraneous bench piece that you wouldn't have been able to hold in previous years. So maybe that's how they're going to begin the season, at least, is with the extra position player depth that they have uh, put together. I mean, Renjifo, I would like him more on a team that didn't have so much talent at so many positions, because I I think there is a little bit of sleeper potential there. Uh, But he goes from a guy that was kind of an afterthought in the Angels Angels infield, rather, uh, to a guy that... Maybe is a little more interesting because 
clearly the Dodgers like him. Now, part of this was the salary dump. They wanted to stand with the luxury tax, so getting rid of Jock Peterson was part of the calculus there. Uh, but if they end up moving away from one of Taylor or Hernandez, like I suggested, that opens up a little bit of bench playing time for Anhifo. Definitely a guy who's on my radar now in NL-only leagues, but maybe a guy that at some points uh, does play his way uh, into bench consideration for like a 15-team mixed league as well. Yeah, no, that sounds about right to me too. And it's a small it's a, it's a small piece of fallout from this trade, but it makes me feel a little bit better about Tommy Listella and his playing time for this coming season. But I don't think there's a bigger impact in this trade. And DVR, you actually, uh, just as we were preparing for this episode, you you brought this up first, a bigger impact than it could have on, on Joe Adele. So do you would you agree that that is the player who's going to be most affected by this trade? Yeah, I mean, in, in the short term, and part of this is just the logjam nature uh, of the Angels outfield and DH situation too. I mean, with Shohei Otani and Albert Pujols being limited mostly to DH and then Pujols to occasional looks at first base, you don't have that luxury of putting your fourth outfielder into that spot. And with a healthy Justin Upton, obviously Mike Trout, uh, and now Peterson, Joe Adele is kind of an odd man out. They can wait until they're absolutely sure that he is ready to hit big league pitching before bringing him up. Whereas prior to this trade, I thought there was a pretty good chance that the Angels, as they were going all in this year, were going to bring Adele up in mid-April. So he definitely takes a short-term hit. I still like him in keeper leagues. I still like him in dynasty leagues. There's a ton of raw talent there. But the early season playing time outlook, at least today, has become a lot more cloudy for Joe Adele. Yeah, and I had not really been all that excited about Brandon Marsh for 2020. Obviously, I'm very excited about him for Dynasty Leagues, but I'm even less excited about Brandon Marsh now. I just, barring just a slew of injuries, I don't really see where he fits in for this season. No, I, I don't see it either. I think he could still be a trade piece, though, for the Angels. They still need pitching. I mean, when you look at what they've done, it's been a good winner for them and not a great one. And maybe Brandon Marsh is part of a trade package that actually brings an upgrade to that rotation. Yeah, and that's uh, you know that would be a good trading of excess uh, you know, surplus talent at this point to fill a really important need. So you know, and much like the uh, the Twins, you know, where they went uh, very quickly from having a rotation that had some question marks, but certainly that those question marks are much fainter now than they were just a, a few hours ago so maybe the angels could could make a, a similar move in that vein so i think dvr that's going to wrap things up for this special episode of fantasy baseball in 15 if you're not already a subscriber to the athletic you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com/baseballin15 and everything that we do is included with a subscription If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we'd greatly appreciate it if you did take the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melchior, and we will see you next time.